y'all. I'm Gretchen Purser, and this is The Mess Is Mine, the podcast where we talk about politics and religion and all the things you're not supposed to talk about at the dinner table. Thanks for joining me today for this special midterm episode. If you like what you hear, please hop on over to Apple Podcasts and give me some stars or leave a review. And remember to also share with your friends and family, those who agree with you, but especially those who don't. So it's pretty scary out there, and also it's Halloween. The midterm elections are two weeks from today, and things are moving fast. The big question on everyone's mind is, is this election going to be Rovember, or is Bidenflation going to rule the day? See what I did there. Today, we're going to discuss the final January 6th hearing. We'll talk about some election terms, and of course, we'll talk about the midterm races and what you should expect. And I'll try to make a case for why it all matters. So first, let's talk about the January 6th committee. They have wrapped up their final hearing and they're issuing in their report. Over the course of these hearings, you've heard a handful of testimonies from the thousand witnesses that they conducted with lawyers, campaign officials, West Wayne staff, all of them Trump allies. But some of the most compelling parts of this final hearing connected the dots between the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys and those in direct contact with White House officials. We now know that these volunteer militias built an arsenal of weapons in hotel rooms in Virginia, just across the bridge from the Capitol, where the gun laws are more lenient. So they brought all these weapons to Virginia because they legitimately believed that Trump was going to deputize them as a legal militia under the Insurrection Act. So in their minds, if the Congress failed to certify the election, Trump was technically still president. So actually, he could have done that very thing. According to their text, they had enough weapons and ammunition to hold the Capitol for a few days. Sound like something out of a movie? Well, yeah, but do you remember a few episodes ago when Trump reportedly grabbed the steering wheel and the beast and throttled his Secret Service agent because they wouldn't take him to the grounds of the Capitol? Did you ever wonder why he wanted to get there so badly? I'm pretty sure it wasn't to take a pitchfork selfie or do a TikTok dance in front of the newly constructed gallows. No, he needed to be there in order to make this plan work. So the hearing showed video from inside the Virginia hotel. You know, just regular tourists hauling crate after crate of munitions into cheap hotel rooms. Just like everybody else who comes to see the Smithsonian and the Washington Monument. Anyway, their leader, Stuart Rhodes, you've probably seen him on the news. He looks just like you'd expect, kind of like a thumb with an eye patch. Anyway, text records obtained by the committee indicated that he was the one calling the shots. On December 10th, almost a month before the insurrection, he sent out a text to his people that said, If Trump does not act, we will have to rise up an insurrection. Psst, he just called it an insurrection. This wasn't last minute. This wasn't impromptu. These were armed militias waiting for the president to give the signal so they could take up arms against their government. Anyway, the committee did a great job of tying everything together. And then for their grand finale, they voted to subpoena former President Trump to testify under oath. Not surprisingly, this raised a lot of questions about what good it does to subpoena Donald Trump to do anything. Take a listen. Trump is 100% coming, and this time he will be held accountable. Sure, he got away with a lot of stuff in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s, the 2010s, and the early 2020s. But that ends now. Upon news of the subpoena, Trump released a 14-page manifesto of a madman. All that was missing was the drool, y'all. And get this, the beef was not that he had been accused of orchestrating an insurrection. He was upset about the part where the media had underestimated the size of the crowd. That's like somebody on trial for attempted murder saying, no, I didn't stab him with a pocket knife. I used a machete. 
So yeah, the January 6th committee made their case. The real question is how much does America care? Y'all remember Eddie Munster lookalike and former Speaker of the House Paul Ryan? (laughs) Paul Ryan is a good guy, and I was sad that he ran away from fighting the crazies in Congress to sit on the board of Fox News, which was not super helpful, but I do like him. He's a good person. See, this is the part where we can dislike what somebody does and still think they're a good person. Anyway, Paul's been out there doing what the people at the Bulwark call wish casting. I'm not sure if they coined that phrase, but I like it. He's trying to help Republicans sleep at night by reassuring us all that Trump is probably not going to be the nominee. And if he is, he probably will not be elected again. Um, isn't the definition of insanity repeating the same actions and expecting a different outcome? I mean, I don't mean to say anything, but we tried the whole having confidence in the Republican Party and hoping they don't nominate someone who's insane thing. It didn't work out. You know, if we've learned anything about Trump is that he sees the presidency not as a responsibility, but as a trophy that somebody took from him. He's like that big bully with the jelly smeared face, snatching all the toys in the sandbox and pushing other kids off the slide. Everything's mine. He takes what he wants and he wants his power back. Look, I hope Paul Ryan's right. I really do. But like I tell my kids before a big test, hope is not a plan. All right, fasten your seatbelts and let's talk midterms. As a refresher, a midterm is in the middle of the term. So in the middle of the presidential term. Presidents are every four years. And just in case you're out of practice, House members every two years, senators every six years. So every off-presidential year, every member of the House, a third of the Senate, and any given number of governors is going to be on the ballot. So midterm elections are really important. So the way it works is each state runs their election a little bit differently, and they give varying authority to certain offices. Governors have a lot of power in some states, but in others, not so much. Secretaries of state usually certify elections. Remember when Trump pressured Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to find 11,000 votes for him, or when he asked Brian Kemp to throw out the ballots and just use the Trump elector ballots instead that they had just pulled out of thin air? Both of these guys, conservative Republicans, bucked their president and they stood firm. But what would have happened if those two guys had been people who just want to be loyal to Donald Trump and would do anything he asked them to do? The scariest thing this Halloween is that there are nearly 300 people on the ballots this year all over the country who are running to support Trump, who will do exactly that. 60 percent of 2022 ballots have at least one big lie candidate running for offices ranging all the way down from school board all the way up to governor. And these people either truly believe that Trump won the election, which is delusional, or they're just repeating the lie in order to get other Trumpers' support. And many of these candidates are going to win. So what's that going to look like in 2024 when these people are secretaries of state in different states and the phone rings and it's Donald Trump on the other end of the line? Can't you hear it? The votes don't matter. I've always said that, that the votes don't matter at all. Because what even is a vote? It's just a piece of paper you fold up and put it in a hat. A guy shakes it around. <laughs> and Uncle Sam, by the way, he had a great hat, didn't he? It was very tall. He borrowed it from Apollo. This is why the midterms matter. This is a good time to do a couple of definitions. I want to explain to you the difference between a low information voter and a willfully ignorant voter. So the definition of ignorance is just merely not knowing something. So willful ignorance is the act of intentionally not knowing something. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I know a lot of willfully ignorant people. They've already decided. They're not curious. They don't want to see both sides or consider other perspectives. It's kind of like that bumper sticker. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. 
There's absolutely no evidence of a stolen election. There's also no evidence that the world is flat. But some people are just going to believe what they're going to believe. So let's talk about what's called the low information voter. Now, this term might sound like an insult, but it's not. It really just means that these people don't consume a ton of political data. Okay, they care about our country. They care about democracy. But it's not top of mind for these people. They're just living their lives. They're going to work. They're raising their kids. What we refer to all the time is the normies. So how are things trending in this election? Well, in the summer and up till about a couple of weeks ago, the overturning of Roe versus Wade was pushing people toward the Democrat side. And now, with the economic indicators being what they are, they've shifted back to the Republican side. Now, I could wax poetic about how inflation's a worldwide problem and how Biden and the Democrats have been trying to address it. And they're all valid points, but the people aren't having it. There's an old saying in politics, and that's if, if you have to explain, you're losing. We're going to talk about the Senate first. I'm sure you all have heard that there are 50, it's a 50-50 split, but that's not really true. There are 50 Republicans, there are 48 Democrats, but there are two independents that caucus with the Democrats. One is Angus King of Maine, probably because Mainers are kind of contrarians, and Bernie Sanders of Vermont, which you can probably blame on the Grateful Dead. So at the 50-50 Senate, there's a lot of ties, as you can imagine. In fact, fun fact, there have only been 294 tie-breaking votes cast in 1789. And Kamala Harris has cast 26 of them in under two years. That's some stone-cold gridlock for you. So obviously, the Senate only needs one seat to flip control from the Democrats to the Republicans. Ought to be easy, right? But this is a weird year. Races are tightening all over the country, and if you're interested in this, you should get on Real Clear Politics and take a look. But the ones we're going to look at today are Ohio, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada. First up, Ohio. Abortion's made a lot of news in Ohio, and wherever you come down on abortion, it's a great example of extreme laws with unintended consequences. Chief Justice Roberts once said that the law should be a scalpel rather than a bulldozer. Ohio's trigger laws that went into effect after the Dobbs decision have effectively bulldozed young girls victimized by rape and incest, cancer patients, and miscarriage sufferers. That's not really that pro-life, if you ask me. This is the state where the 10-year-old girl was raped and then had to be taken to Indiana and blah, blah, blah. You guys saw it in the news. So anyway, abortion is on the minds of people in Ohio. And despite all that, Mike DeWine, who's the incumbent, he's very conservative. He's 75 years old. He's way ahead. He's not even going to debate his opponent. The governor's race isn't even close, but the Senate race is a squeaker. What you have there is you have Democrat Congressman Tim Ryan and then the guy who wrote Hillbilly Elegy, uh, J.D. Vance. They're in a dead heat to replace one of my former bosses and a voice of reason, Rob Portman. So Vance made big news when he turned from once Trump critic to Trump's biggest bootlicker. He's also announced the support for Lindsey Graham's proposed national ban on abortion because evidently he believes Ohio's abortion laws are just not yet extreme enough. The polling is really showing that women do not like J.D. Vance. It could be the craft beer beard, but I'm guessing it's his complete disregard for women's health care. When you have two people in the same party that are pretty extreme, you can see something called ticket splitting. And I'm going to do a definition here for you because you're going to hear it a lot this cycle. Ticket splitting is when you vote for, say, a Democrat for governor and a Republican for senator or vice versa. And you do that because you really don't want things to go too far to the left or too far to the right. You're going to hear that term a lot this year, but you're especially going to hear it in the next state, Pennsylvania where one of our Senate candidates would like to see it be the land of Oz. So when Republican Senator Toomey decided to retire, it seemed almost certain to flip to the Democrats. It's a blue state, and the Democrats nominated this bearded, tattooed, hoodie-wearing populist guy named John Fetterman. He'd been a very popular mayor and pulled really high with sort of the anti-establishment people. 
The Republican in a race is this TV talk show doctor named Mehmet Oz, who initially kind of mocked Fetterman. Fetterman had a stroke, and, and Oz mocked him for, quote, never eating a vegetable. Well, as you can imagine, that didn't really play well in the official home state of the cheesesteak. Also, making fun of stroke patients is not a good look. If that wasn't enough, Oz isn't even from Pennsylvania. He's from Jersey. And he's been accused of performing medical experiments on puppies, which his campaign only partially disputed, which goes back to my other statement, if you have to explain your losing. Okay, what about the Gov's race? Here's the thing. There's a guy at the top of the ticket running for governor named Doug Mastriano, and he's a self-proclaimed Christian nationalist. He's called the separation of church and state a myth and organized a road trip caravan to the January 6th insurrection. You can see a lot of people lining up to vote against Mastriano, and there's no question that this stroke has hurt Fetterman's chances. But I still think Dr. Oz would need a wizard to pull off a win in Pennsylvania this year. <laughs> Let's head south to Georgia. The top of the ticket, we have incumbent Brian Kemp, who, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, gets credit for holding the line against Trump. This race is a rematch between hardline conservative Kemp and hard left Stacey Abrams. Abrams is a gifted speaker and she has good political instinct, but Kemp beat her once already and she's pretty liberal for purple Georgia. Kemp's going to win this one, but the Senate, again, is a toss-up. And remember in 2020, when neither candidate got over 50%, they had to go to runoff. So we've seen this before. The Senate seat's being defended by the guy who won in 2020. His name is Raphael Warnock, so he's only been in office for like 18 months or almost two years. He's okay, but he's not the strongest candidate. So the Republicans thought they had a great shot at taking this seat back. And then they nominated University of Georgia football star Herschel Walker. Now, at first glance, I thought Herschel seemed like a good idea. I mean, he's a football hero in a football state and all. But y'all, wow. In the interest of time, I'll just tick off some of the top lines, okay? So he, he likes to play Russian roulette. Uh, he held a gun to his wife's head. He favors banning abortion with no exceptions. He paid for a girlfriend's abortion. He lied about that abortion and claimed not to know her, forgetting for a moment that she's also the mother of one of his other out-of-wedlock children. He said at a debate that because he was given some honorary dime store badge that he's a member of law enforcement and has been for years, and he thinks there are 52 states. Now, call me old school, but I remember a time in the party like six years ago when any one of these things would be a disqualifier. But not a single Republican official or prominent evangelical has suggested that this guy maybe shouldn't be writing the laws of our land. I'll tell you something else I heard, and I think about this, because at one time, science said man came from apes. Did it not? If that is true, why are there still apes? Think about it. So I'm no doctor and I'm no psychiatrist. I don't know if this is CTE or some other kind of a problem, but there's definitely a problem. And the sad thing is that Republicans and the evangelicals and all the people rallying around him, they're not supporting him for his great ideas or his upstanding moral character. They just think he can win because he's a football star. And to them, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. SNL did a bit on this, too. <laughs> so, Senator McConnell, do you really think this guy is ready to be a senator? <laughs> it doesn't matter what I think. It, it, it matters what I say, and I say, go, Herschel Walker. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, I love you, too, Mitch McConnick. Uh, you see, <laughs> we not so different. Me and Mitch are like two peas in a bag. <laughs> okay. It's a dead heat race, folks. Stay tuned on Georgia. Next up is Arizona. So starting in the Gov's race, there's a newscaster, and she's also an election denier, running for Arizona, and she kind of makes my blood run cold. Her name is Carrie Lake. 
The Democratic candidate was ahead for a while, but Lake uh, is really polished, and this Katie Hobbs would not debate her. So ever since then, Hobbs's numbers have begun to fall. Lake's extreme on a lot of issues, but my biggest beef is with her is that she refuses to say whether or not she will concede if she loses the election. Give a listen. The question is, will you accept the results of your election in November? I'm going to win the election and I will accept that result. If you lose, will you accept that? I'm going to win the election and I will accept that result. So is this the new Republican playbook? I only accept the results if I win? I'm not sure we're going to find out because it looks like Lake's actually going to win. This not debating thing that keeps cropping up, this is not okay. If you're going to run for office, you owe it to the voters to debate. Keep an eye on Lake because she's smart and she's savvy. She's also scary and very likely to be the next vice presidential nominee with Trump. The Senate race is much closer than it ought to be. The incumbent is a Democrat named Mark Kelly, who's a former astronaut. He's married to the congresswoman who got shot at her own rally, Gabby Giffords. The Republican is a little bit terrifying to me, actually. His name is Blake Masters, and he's referred to America as a dystopian hell world. He thinks the Democrats are evil, and he thinks the Republican Party should weaponize to aggressively pursue a far-right agenda. Sure wish I was kidding you, but I'm not. So just keep your fingers crossed that Senator Kelly pulls this one off. Last state is Nevada. I know some of y'all say Nevada, but I'm saying Nevada. So for those of you who prefer soap operas to C-SPAN, let's look at this race. So right now, this is a Democrat Senate seat, but the Republican challenger is a guy named Adam Laxalt. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's because his granddad was the governor, the senator, and a good friend of Ronald Reagan, Paul Laxalt. Okay? Still a little bit boring? Give me a minute. All right. So Adam's mom, Michelle, was 24 when she was working for Reagan, and she got pregnant, but she refused to disclose the identity of the father. In a plot twist fit for Jerry Springer, around 10 years ago, Michelle finally announced that the baby's father is New Mexico Senator Pete Domenici. Paul Laxalt's colleague in the United States Senate. Awkward. But even more interesting than all that to me is the fact that the 14 members of the Laxalt family have endorsed the Democrat incumbent, Catherine Cortez Mastro. Fascinating. The the Senate race is a dead heat, and the governor's race is a dead heat, so it's kind of hard to say how it's going to break, but just stay tuned. The control of the House uh, hinges on the swing of only five seats, and I don't really see any scenario where Republicans hold control, which means, of course, that Kevin McCarthy is probably going to be the next Speaker of the House. That said, it's not going to be the tidal wave that they thought it was going to be at one point. I could be wrong. A lot of things could change between now and then, but right now it's looking like it's going to be a lot more like Bidenflation and not like Rovember. Remember what James Carville said back when Clinton beat Bush? He was right. It's still the economy. Stupid. So what's next? I don't want you guys to be like those people in the movies where the axe murder is creeping up and you you want to shout out like, look behind you. You need to know what's coming. Over the next few weeks, the House is going to flip. McCarthy is probably going to become speaker. The Senate may hold, but probably flips by the slimmest of margins. Trump takes credit for every Republican gain and then announces his candidacy for 2024. I'm afraid that's just what's going to happen, and it'll be less painful if you're just ready for it. I got a little bit of good news, though. Number one, the House and Senate are poised to pass an election reform bill that makes it much more difficult to contest the results of the election. The bill's already passed the House, and there are already 11 co-sponsors in the Senate, which is one more than the 10 needed to pass the bill. The, The bill ought to be passed and signed into law during the lame duck session, which means after the election, but before the new members are sworn in. So that is a very, very good thing. That should help you sleep a little bit better. Number two, it could always be worse. A lot of people were predicting really grave results for this midterm, and it doesn't look like it's going to be that bad. 
Whatever margins for either side are probably going to be fairly narrow, and that's probably a good thing. Number three, I know for a lot of us that our confidence in the Republicans has been shaken. But this is just a reminder that there are constitutional Republicans out there. They do exist. And even though Liz Cheney won't be in the House anymore, she's going to continue to do all she can to keep Trump from regaining power. But she can't do it alone. I'm putting a list of all the election deniers that are running for office on my website. Take a look at it before you go to the polls. Make sure that you cast your vote for somebody that you can truly believe in. If the majority of us cast our votes for people who believe in the rule of law, we can turn this thing around. All right, y'all, that's all I've got for today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope the sun is shining wherever you are. Have a happy and safe Halloween, and I'll talk to you next time.